Our Old Testament lesson comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, and can be found on page 147 of the Pew Bibles, or 286 in the large print. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6, uh, just before the people are going to be entering the land that God had promised them generations before. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for the ways that you have uh, been working in our lives, and the ways that you've been working through us um, for our good and for your glory. God, we pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, we pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue that work of transformation in our hearts and our lives, that you would continue to change us into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through uh, 6. It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. And then turning to John chapter 8, Verses 31 through 42 should be found on page 868 in the Pew Bibles, or 1663 in the large print, John 8, 31 to 42. It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you, what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And then turning to Hebrews 12, 4 through 13. Which we found on page 975 in the 
Pew Bibles, or 1875 in large print. The author of Hebrews, after reminding the people of all those who have gone before them, who have lived by faith, who have believed that God is who he says he is, they would do what he said he would do, and their lives were different because of it. And said, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And also let us, uh, you know, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so he will not grow weary and lose heart. Excuse me. And then he says, starting in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's a question. What do you think it would take for you in your life to turn away from God, to reject him entirely, and say, that's it, I'm done? Is there anything? Is there anything that can make you say that? In Jesus' parable that he tells about the four soils, there are groups of people seeds that start sprouting up and they look like the seed that actually does produce fruit, but they never do. Because for these two different sets of seeds, there are things that make them not bear fruit, that make them wither up and die. And on the one hand, you have the seed that falls among the thorns and it withers and dies because of it gets choked out by the thorns, as Jesus said. It's the... uh, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth. In other words, thinking, well, if I just had a little bit more, if I just could get a little bit more, if, you know, that next promotion, that next raise, that next this, that next that, that nothing that bears fruit for the kingdom ever happens, and that's it. But then there are the others. There's more where we're looking at today. The, the ones, the seed that falls among the, the rocky soil, the stones, And it says there, we have, uh, it springs up for a little bit, but because of, uh, but when trouble and persecution come because of the word, they fall away. So for the one, it's kind of that chasing after uh, the things of this world to make 
life an easier life. And the other, it is when things get hard because of the word, say, well, that's it, I had enough. And as we've been talking about with this whole letter to the Hebrews, that's kind of the situation they were in, is things were getting hard if you said the name of Jesus. And so they were willing to kind of let Jesus go to avoid the hard things that were coming their way. And what this whole letter has been about is, no, keep on, keep it on. Hold tight to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that has been sort of the theme of this whole thing because it's, Jesus is better than anything else. Jesus is the way uh, to the Father. He's the one that we looked at the temple and the, the tabernacle and the curtain that is um, the split open, opening the way to God the Father, that we can actually approach God because of Jesus and not from anything else. And so you go away from Jesus, what are you left with? And so even though there may be the temptation to uh, avoid the persecution, or there may be the temptation to chase after the things of this world, over and over the author of the Hebrews says, no, 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 hold on to Jesus. No matter what else comes. And in the passage we just read, in Hebrews 12, then it says, and, and I want you to think about this. If you're experiencing these hardships because you're holding on to Jesus, and then things are getting hard because of it, it would be easy for you to think. It would be easy to think, God must have forgotten about me. He must not really care about me like I thought he did. You know, I, I came to Jesus because I thought that he thought I was you know, worth saving somehow. But now, it seems like he's sort of forgotten, left me alone, and now I'm, I'm suffering. And he's not freeing me from the suffering. And yet, this author has just said, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. Because as we pointed out last week, if there's anybody who ever got it right, it was Jesus. And if there's anybody who ever suffered for getting it right, it was Jesus. And yet, you could never say, well, then God must not have loved him. Because if there's anyone that God has ever loved, it's Jesus. And so we are told to consider Jesus as we go through the hardships and says, you know what, the fact that you're suffering is not evidence that God doesn't love you. It's actually evidence that he does love you, that he cares enough about you, that he's treating you as his children. And so it uses this whole metaphor of a, a father and their son and father and, and children. And it says, you know, and you think about this. If you have children of your own, you want to make sure that they are growing up the right direction, that you are going to be looking out for their good in all things. And yet, if you get some, uh, you're out somewhere, there's some kids that aren't part of your family, and you may, you know, well, I'll keep you from causing too much trouble because I'm around, I don't know where your parents are, but... But you don't have that same level of care and concern for them long term that you have for your own children. 
And so he says, if you are undergoing these hardships in your life because you are following Jesus, that is actually evidence that God is working in and through you to turn you into the kind of person that he wants you to become. And so rather than being evidence of God doesn't love me, it's actually evidence that he does love me and that he's actually accepted me as a child because of Jesus. And so it's this endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And, uh, and then, of course, it says two things. The first being that even this metaphor of human fathers breaks down at some point because it says, first of all, human fathers don't do it for very long. You know, they raise us while we're children. But God's care and guidance and instruction and training goes on and on and on. But secondly, human parents mess up. And if you've ever had human parents, (laughs) or if you've ever been a human parent, you know what I'm talking about. We don't get it right all the time, even if we really want to get it right all the time. We don't. We mess it up. But he says, you know, the good news there is God doesn't mess it up. He gets it right all the time. And that what happens, happens for our good. Even when it doesn't seem pleasant. You can probably all think of ways that you have undergone uh, training or discipline uh, that did not seem pleasant at the time. And yet... You know, the saying, you know, no pain, no gain, right? Can you imagine, by the way, if, uh, if a college athlete were drafted, or not drafted, <laughs> college athlete were straight from high school, they go to the team, and it's like, this is the big news. They sign with the university of their choice, and the coach is excited, the other players are excited, and they get there, and they say, great, now I've made it, and now I'm going to just sit around on the couch and eat chips all the time. Call me at game time. The coach will say, no, no, no. That's not how this works. You still have to go to practice. You still have to lift the weights. You still have to run uh, all the reps that you do. And they say, wait a second. I'm on the team, right? Well, yeah. But you're not on the team because you're already there. You're on the team because we are now going to work together and we're going to grow together and we're going to all get better and better together. It's pretty easy to see that because we have been accepted in Christ, not because of anything we do, then we go, okay, then we'll just come and sit on a pew and eat chips or whatever. And the spiritual equivalent of that. It says, no, 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 there's a training that goes on with that. And in fact, this hardship that you go through and you go, oh, I thought that I was just going to come and sit on a pew and that, that everything is good now. Now I'm facing these hardships. I must have had it wrong. I'm out of here. And it says, no, no, no. That's a part of the deal. That's the, you're lifting the weights now. You're actually running the sprints. That's a part of this training. But you're being trained for righteousness. You're being trained to be those who spread peace wherever they go. The peace of God between people and God and between people and each other because of Jesus. Not because of us. Because of Jesus. And so even though it doesn't seem pleasant... When undergoing things, we still know that it uh, later on will produce 
that harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I go, all right, well, there it is. Now there's this, it's given to us. We don't want to just sit around and do nothing. We're going to actually get out there and we're going to do something, right? Now it's giving us what we can do to do these spiritual exercises to make ourselves stronger. I hope that already sounds a little off. What this has all been about from the very beginning is not doing anything to make ourselves anything. But the whole thing has been about, do you trust in God? Do you really trust in God more than you trust in money? Do you trust in God more than you trust in anything? When Jesus sent out his disciples to go preach and spread the news around the towns, the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you remember what he told them to take? Nothing. You got it right. (laughs) He told them to take nothing. And that's not how we want to do it. We always want everything up front. God, why don't you give me everything I'm going to need right now before I go and do what it is that you've told me to do? How many times have you heard somebody say, uh, you know, talk about something like evangelism and say, well, I'm not ready. I don't know enough yet. You can tell people about Jesus. No, no, no. I I need to know more Bible first. Well, do you know Jesus? Well, yes. (laughs) Can you tell people what you know about Jesus? Well, I need to know more first. (laughs) Hmm, interesting. But that's not the way that he does it. He sends people out and says, now that you, you know, I'm telling you to go, you go, and as you do, you will trust that I will provide what you need as you go. That doesn't mean that you don't prepare along the way, but it's always in this attitude of trusting God, depending on him, and living in obedience because you trust in him. Another part of this is understanding that it's all for his glory and his good. Now, obviously, it turns out for our good as well. It's the whole good news part of it. But it's for his glory. One of the reasons I think that hardship is shocking to people, and one of the reasons why hardship takes people away from the faith, is when Jesus is not enough. And so Jesus is being used as a tool to something else, even if we don't realize it. And so you say, well, if I tell people about Jesus and then they like me better, then I'll do it. But if I tell people about Jesus and they like me less, maybe I won't do it. Well, wait a second. Is this about Jesus or is this about getting people to like you? Well, if I tell people about Jesus... And, and they pay me for it, <laughs> then maybe I'll do it. But if I tell people about Jesus and they threaten to take away my tax-exempt status, maybe I won't do it. Wait a second, is this about Jesus or is it about money? 
And so we remember, as we've been talking about, that the goal is not a comfortable living. The goal is not popularity. The goal is not material riches. But the goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And what we find is, when we actually live by faith, following actively, I trust him, he's glorified in that. And we enjoy him in that, even through the hardship. Even when it's unpleasant, we enjoy him in that. Because we understand the goal is the glory of God, and because we understand that our part in that is just simply trusting him, I want to clear up one other thing real fast. And that is, this whole thing is about trusting him. But that doesn't mean trusting him that, well, if, he's, if there's hardship somewhere, that must mean that God is doing that for his glory. He's training me. So therefore, if I see a hardship on somebody else, I better not do anything about that because that's for God's glory. And I believe it so much that I will do nothing to help them with their hardship they're dealing with. You could go that way. But if you remember in Matthew 25, Jesus does not say at that time the king will say to those, um, you saw me when I was hungry and you did nothing because you knew that would be for God's glory for me to be hungry. And you saw me when I was thirsty and you did nothing for me because you knew it would be for God's glory that I was thirsty. And you saw me when I was naked and when I was in prison and you did nothing because you knew that one day that would all be for God's glory. But instead, he tells a parable of the Good Samaritan where he says that the religious people walked by and they saw someone who was in need and they did nothing because they were so religious. But then there was a Samaritan who went by and who actually did something about it. James puts it this way. In James chapter 2, he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? We are those who are being trained even through hardship, but we are trained for holiness. We're trained that we would share in the holiness of God, that we would be those who would be um, harvesting righteousness and peace, that we would be God's agents in the world of, for righteousness and peace and holiness, not because of our own Efforts not because of our own goodness, <laughs> but because we trust in him, that his way is the right way, that putting his will above our own is the right way, and that it's not just about believing it, that it's for his glory, not mine, but it's actually living that out, doing the things that he said. And as we mentioned last week, it's like Peter walking on the water. He's not walking on the water because he's so great. He's walking on the water because Jesus is so great and has told him to do it. That's the life that we are called to. Sometimes it's hard and rocky and difficult and painful, and the Bible never minimizes that and never says, well, it's not really bad. Sometimes it says pretty plainly, it's really bad. Keep going. (laughs) Keep trusting God. When it's really, really bad, Don't think he's abandoned you. Remember the promise that he will be with you always, even in the midst 
whatever you're going through. And trust that he knows what's best for you and will continue to use that even to train you as you exercise your muscles of faith by trusting him more. Through it all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.